What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The news from Portland has been ominous. An aggressive federal campaign to suppress protests with anonymous federal agents in camouflage sweeping through the streets, flooding the streets with tear gas, shooting projectiles from paintball guns at protesters, grabbing activists and detaining them in unmarked vans, and all this over the objections of state and local officials. For comment and analysis, we turn to Zoe Carpenter. She's a contributing writer for The Nation, and she received the James Aronson Award for Social Justice Journalism in 2018. Her writing has also appeared in Rolling Stone and other publications, and she is based now in Portland. Zoe, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Well, please remind us about the basic timeline of how all this developed. We read that there have been more than 50 days of protests. What has that been like? Well, the protests started very shortly after the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, as they did in many other cities and towns around the country. Um, and in Portland, they were pretty huge for many weeks in a row, you know, thousands of people filling up bridges and shutting down the interstate at least once and pretty diverse in character. There were some socially distanced protests, some car convoys, and then these big marches. In large part, uh, extremely peaceful. The vibe was really positive, although, of course, outrage not only about Floyd's killing, but also with systemic policing issues and issues of racism within Portland itself. What do we know about who the protesters actually are? I think it's, it's hard to say exactly because it's people who represent all sorts of walks of life um, and all sorts of groups. I mean, you definitely have people who identify as anti-fascists. Um, you have people who identify as moms. So there's been a whole group of moms wearing yellow and bike helmets. Um, the scene down there is really interesting until the police spray tear gas or the federal agents spray tear gas and sort of respond in these dis disproportionate ways. Um, the energy downtown is very communal. 
Um, you know, people are passing out vegan stew and there's a, a barbecue group, Riot Ribs, which has been showing up and staying every night to feed people for free. Um, so there is this sense of solidarity. There are medics, there are people handing out water. It's teenagers, you know, there was the Navy veteran who was there a few days ago who got his hand broken by federal officers when they beat him. So um, it's really people from all over the city representing all sorts of different things who are there because they believe that Black Lives Matter and that there needs to be policy change. Thank you for mentioning the wall of moms. I think that is an innovation of contra Portland's contribution to the history of protest in America. What, ha what happened with the wall of moms? Well, some of the moms got tear gassed, you know, the, the moms were down there. Again, it was, there were so many of them. I'm sure that um, many people had different experiences, but um, the moms I think were sort of trying to arrange themselves in certain ways to protect other protesters. And last night, earlier in the evening, they were singing Hands Up, Don't Shoot in a kind of lullaby style, which was quite evocative and um, I think presented a, a pretty different picture of the protesters than what you hear from the Trump administration. There developed kind of a regular pattern, which is that these large demonstrations would go on and then a smaller group of people would end up converging downtown around the Justice Center and the Federal Courthouse, which is um, in downtown Portland. And that's where most of the intense clashes with local police and now with the federal agents have occurred and are still occurring. And how have the Portland police dealt with these protests in comparison to what we've seen in the last couple of days from these anonymous federal people? Yeah, that's a good question. And one of the things I'm hearing from activists who have been on the ground at these protests for 50 plus days um, is that there is a sense of continuity between the actions of the local police and the federal agents to a certain extent. And, and what I mean by that is that the, the Portland Police Bureau has used tear gas, they've used less lethal munitions such as rubber bullets, and there have been significant injuries um, among protesters. And so that's been really concerning. There have been court orders against the police department, um, forcing them to stop using tear gas um, quite as indiscriminately as they were using it. And so what we're seeing now with the federal agents that have come in is that they're continuing some of the same tactics, um, kind of taking over the role of spraying tear gas and that sort of thing. So there's a sense of continuity between um, the excessive force that the local police have been using and what the federal agents are, are doing now. But, but isn't there something particularly dangerous and new about unidentified federal agents? We've read about them whisking people off the street without charging them for a crime, without due process, over the objections of state and local officials. Yes, absolutely. And there are, there are really serious constitutional questions, civil rights questions about what the federal officials or the federal agents have been doing. And just to back up a little bit, I think, um, you know, they, they have been in town since the beginning of July and ostensibly are here to protect federal property, such as the federal courthouse. Um, but Oregon Public Broadcasting was the first to break the story of the fact that they were detaining people not on federal property, including people who were not really doing anything, just walking around, leaving a protest, heading home. They weren't identifying themselves. They were jumping out of these unmarked vehicles and grabbing people and then whisking them away to be essentially questioned um, and then released without apparently any kind of documentation of why they were detained or you know, what the outcome was. So that certainly uh, is an escalation with what we've seen from the local police. 
And tell us about the basic state of the city right now. Trump says it's been engulfed in chaos. Is that really true? No, it's not true. And we've heard that not only from Trump, but from the acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and then from the local president of the police union here, who has used a similar phrase in terms of the city being under siege. I think it's important to note that for the vast majority of people in Portland, their lives have been affected far more by coronavirus-related shutdowns than by these protests. The protests are occurring in a pretty small uh, square block radius downtown. And I was out there on Friday night um, when federal agents started spraying tear gas around 10.20 p.m. And at that time, I walked a few blocks away. Um, There were still families that were out strolling around downtown Um, at the same time and seemingly oblivious to the tear gas being sprayed, you know, just a few blocks over. And downtown is very quiet because a lot of the restaurants and obviously businesses are shut down due to coronavirus. Um, And there is a lot of graffiti, but it's not, it's not like there is actually a marauding group of uh, violent protesters that's creating chaos throughout the city whatsoever. Tell us a little more about the police in Portland and the demands for reform, what have the activists been asking for and have they made any progress? Yeah, they have made some progress and and certainly not um, as much. They haven't had political leaders respond to the extent that they hoped, which is why these protests are ongoing. And I I think it's important to keep in mind why they're out there anyways, which is um, because they're declaring that Black Lives Matter and that the city needs to make real significant changes in policing and and to other policies that affect people of color in the city. Um, One notable victory was um, getting police removed from public schools. And that is a campaign that has been ongoing in Portland for years. And so I think we really saw the wave of activism um, after the death of George Floyd add fuel to these pre-existing um, struggles. There was some money diverted away from the, the police force, but not nearly as much as activists have been calling for. So um, I think there's a sense among people who've been involved in police reform work in Portland for a long time that, um, you know, there, there's some good small progress, but it's pretty inadequate to the scale of, of the problem, considering that the Portland police has a very long history of racist actions and excessive use of force against people of color and people um, experiencing mental health crises. The police has actually been under a federal, federal dis- consent decree due to its excessive use of force. And um, I think there's a sense among many of the people who are still demonstrating that it's going to take much, much deeper reform or even disbanding of the police here to actually address those systemic issues. Trump, in his Sunday interview on Fox with Chris Wallace, agreed that Portland is a dress rehearsal, uh, a testing ground for what he would like to do in other cities. He specifically listed Chicago and New York. Uh, He's also talked about Philadelphia and Detroit and Baltimore and Oakland as potential targets for this kind of federal uh, force intervening. Certainly seems like a move towards, you know, real fascism. What do we know about who these agents actually are? I know their uniforms are unmarked. Yeah, so um, my colleague, Ken Klippenstein, who works in the nation's DC Bureau, he first reported that um, some of the agents who were pulling people off the street into these unmarked cars were from a tactical unit um, of the Border Patrol that are usually used as a you know counterterrorism type operations as a SWAT team style unit. There are US Marshals here also, uh, and 
I think this is particularly alarming when you think of uh, what the Border Patrol and, and are, you know, normally is doing. There isn't a border anywhere near close to Portland. And I think that really speaks to the way that the post 9-11 security state has morphed in its mission. We should also keep in mind that unmarked Department of Homeland Security officials showing up to whisk people away from cities has been occurring for immigrant communities for years. Um, we've seen unmarked immigration officials or unidentified immigration officials show up at courthouses to detain people for immigration violations. And so in a sense, this has been happening and now it's just happening to white people also, but it, it definitely does speak to the way that these uh, bloated agencies are really expanding their, their mission and becoming uh, political tools of a, an administration that um, is worried about winning an election. Yeah, there's something particularly ominous about sending the Border Patrol to attack protesters. Michelle Goldberg wrote in the New York Times on Tuesday, point, she pointed out that Trump failed to get the military to do this. The military has resisted being used against uh, civilians. They're not going to do it. But the Border Patrol is under federal authority, and its leadership is fanatically devoted to Trump and of course, it's been the center of far-right politics around the border for, you know, a decade. So, you know, of course, we need to talk about what can be done about this. Uh, Nancy Pelosi tweeted on Friday about Portland, Trump and his stormtroopers must be stopped, close quote. She didn't say what she planned to do in the House of Representatives about that. But of course, the House will soon be voting on a Homeland Security Appropriations Bill. And it's certainly in the, within the power of the House to withhold funding until Trump's fascist tactics in Portland are, are halted. You know, we've heard in the past several years calls to abolish ICE. And I think this really speaks to the need to look not only at ICE, but Border Patrol and other elements of the Department of Homeland Security and really think hard, um, as many of us have been doing, but I think that um, sort of mainstream Democrats have been reluctant to about what our entire Homeland Security apparatus is doing and what it's built for. Um, and it's unfortunate that that conversation seems to be easier to have now that it's um, threatening white American citizens when it's already been threatening a number of other people for many years. But um, it's definitely high time for that conversation about the resources that we give to those agencies. And Zoe Carpenter reporting from Portland. You can read her at thenation.com. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. 
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.